haven't met, my name is Daniel. I'm the pastor. I want to welcome you as we get ready to dive into God's Word. And uh, as Miss Stacy, thank you so much for reading the scriptures um, in 2 Thessalonians. Let's pray as we dive into God's Word, if you'll join me, please. Father, we come to your Word, needing your grace to help us to open our hearts as our sister uh, prayed earlier. Father, we just ask God that you would help us to worship you with our minds now. And I just want to pray for you wherever you're at in your spiritual journey. I want to encourage you to have a conversation with God right there in your seat. And maybe you would just say something to the Lord right there at your seat in the quietness of your heart. You might want to say something like this, Lord, speak to me today. Speak to me today. And then you might want to say something like, for Lord, I intend to obey. Lord, I intend to obey. Father, we ask that Jesus Christ would be glorified in all that we say and do. And uh, Father, I pray you'd help me to communicate your truth in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're in this book of Thessalonians, trekking through it. It's called Peace to the End. And uh, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica there. Uh, they've been struggling. He wrote a first letter to them, and now this is the second letter that he's written to them. And uh, they've, they've been through some hard times. They've been persecuted. There have been false teachers uh, leading them astray, freaking them out about the end times and the Antichrist and uh, all these things going on. And um, and and then uh, there are some other people in their church that are struggling with laziness and and just kind of sitting around being busybodies and and doing uh, nothing. And and so uh, Paul is writing to encourage these new believers, this this new church, and uh, and he's just trying to encourage them. And every turn you see, you find words of encouragement from Paul, and I, I think it's really awesome. And so today we're going to talk about. Uh, standing firm. In fact, that's the title of, of the message today. So reach on over, get to know your neighbor if you don't know them already, and tell them, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand firm. That's okay. You can get to know somebody new today if you wanted to. Stand firm. I don't know if you've ever been pushed around in your life before, pushed around at work, uh, pushed around uh, at school by a bully, pushed around in a relationship. Um, but, but we all tend to get pushed around and, um, I grew up as, uh, the middle child and, uh, I was scrawny, uh, as a kid and, uh, and I got pushed around a lot, you know, growing up, my brother was a lot bigger. He was more of a football player. So I got pushed around by my brother and, um, you know, it was always fun growing up, uh, no matter how hard you try to hit him and he just laughs at you, you know, you're like, yeah! and, um, and he's just like, what was that? You know? And, um. One time I got him, though, uh, after he had hurt me pretty bad, uh, he was playing with some Legos, and he had his back turned to me. And I, uh, back in the old, good old days, you know, they made uh, stuff not out of plastic but out of metal. I had a big yellow metal dump truck. And uh, I'm not advocating this, just so that we're clear. I'm just letting you know that I was tired of getting pushed around, and, um, and I decided to help my brother uh, get it through his head that he wasn't going to push him around anymore. Um, and so uh, I applied the dump truck to his head. And um, I got in a lot of trouble for that, kids, and so it was not a good idea. Um, but uh, but I, I played basketball as well, and, uh, and, and as I tried to improve my skills, my coach was yelling at me. He's like, Mackie, you got to put some weight on. Mackie, you can't let these guys push you around. And, uh, and so, you know, I started to, you know, drink some protein shakes and all the kind of stuff you do to, to improve. And then I I finally uh, learned how uh, to not get pushed around anymore, and um, and it's it's funny because once I learned just a few key things, once I learned how to actually stand firm, uh, it really helped me learn. And so 
Uh, I need an example. I got to ask my friend Joey to come up. He doesn't know I'm gonna call him up, and now he's like, uh, Joey played basketball too. And uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, welcome Joey Granger here. That's right. Come, come on up on stage. I always joke that he's gonna preach one day. <laughs> Today's that day. Uh, so, uh, in basketball, you line up for what they call free throws, right? And um, and so, you know, let's line up like we're doing free throws. So we just line up. Let's back away from the stage. I don't want any of us to get hurt. And uh, and so you line up like this together. And, um, and, and if I've got the inside, this is called the inside position. And a lot of times is that a guy like Joe, he's probably stronger than me. He would, I would step in front of him, we'll get ready for the, the free throw. And like, Joey, put, you can push me. Just don't push me too hard. He would just like push me. I'd be like, ah. And my coach would say, no. Okay. It's all in your first step. So you take this left foot right here and you plant it right in front of, and you plant it firmly. And then you, you get your butt out and you lower it. And, and this is what you call a box out. And you get your rear end and you and you you push him out, right? And it and if you're planted and you get in that position well, he's gonna try to push you. But because you have the inside position, and if you plant that foot firmly there, you're gonna be all right. Push Don't push me. <laughs> Some of you are like, I want to see how this works. And um, put it to the test. Joey, thank you for your participation. Fine specimen of manly power. There he is. And um. And so what I learned was that it's all about the position. It's not about the power. If you have that inside position first and you plant your foot and you stand firm, you're not going to get pushed around. How many of you know that there are all kinds of things in your life trying to push you around? And you need to know that God has given you a position as a believer that makes the fact that Satan comes against it, makes the fact that temptation comes against it, makes the fact that, that other issues come against your life and your heart. But when you know who, who you are in Christ, when you know and understand your position, all of a sudden, that stuff doesn't seem as big anymore. That stuff is not able to push you off of your position. You see, because salvation is not just a decision. Salvation is not just something that we do, but salvation is a position that has been given to every believer and once you are secure in Christ, you can't be moved from that position. But see, it's Satan who wants to come and attack us and come and, and, and try to move us out of that and thinking that he can scare us, thinking that he can frighten us. But the Bible says Satan prowls around like a, a, a lion, prowls around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. But do you believe or have that position to where you can stand firm? In fact, all throughout the Bible, we're reminded to stand firm. But there are feelings, right? Feelings of discouragement that come against you and me. And what we've got to do is we've got to plant our feet and get that position and be ready. And so when those feelings of discouragement come, we know who we are in Christ. We're standing firm. When those feelings of anxiety and insecurity come because we're not sure about the future and we're not sure about what's happening in our family life right now, we need to plant our feet and stand firm so that we're not pushed around. When the feelings of condemnation come, right? And, and someone or, or Satan whispers in your ear, you're a terrible person. Satan whispers to you, you're, you, you have no value. You have no worth. Nobody desires you or wants you. You need to stand firm knowing your position in Christ. And this is really what Paul is reminding these believers here as he encourages them. He's like, I want you to stand firm. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world is what the Bible says in another location. Because these Thessalonian believers, they're being attacked. They're being persecuted uh, by people in their own town. 
they're, they're being attacked by these false teachers. And so they're just getting pushed around left and right, and they're freaking out. And so he says, look, I want you to stand firm. And so let's look at the text here. I'll give you a, at least four things that we can stand firm in because it's, it's what you're going to stand firm in that's really going to help. And so point number one is this. We need to stand firm in the love of God. Stand firm in the love of God. Aren't you glad God tells us to stand firm in his love? He's not saying stand firm in the rules of God, though the rules are important. He's not saying stand firm in the rituals of God. He's saying stand firm in the love of God. Stand firm that you are loved as a child. Stand firm in my love for you. Let's look back at the text in chapter 2, verse 13, right? He says this. But we ought always to give thanks to God for you. See how encouraging Paul is to these new believers here? We ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord. Beloved. How many of us use that word beloved? Beloved. Who says that? Beloved. Some of us do. You do, Ian? Awesome. Thank you. Beloved. You could look at somebody and say, depending on who they are next to you, you might want to say, you're my beloved. You're my beloved. Beloved, someone who is loved by God. You see, we live in a world that constantly tells us and, and, and tries to get us to put our identity in, 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 in anything else other than God. And we have that, that temptation in our hearts anyways to put our love in the things that we do. Can I tell you, sir, ma'am, you are not what you do. You are not what you do. Your job is important. It's wonderful. It's a gift. But you are not what you do. Your addictions do not have to define you. You are not what you do. You're not a human doing. You are a human being. You are a human being, and you are be loved by the creator of the universe. The world would have us put our identity in the things that we do, put our, our love and stand firm in the things that we do. What happens when you can't do those things anymore? Do you feel discouraged and depressed? Do you feel like you're less than? You are not what you have. You are not the kind of car you drive or the neighborhood that you live in or the type of clothes that you wear. That doesn't define you. You are not what others think of you. Have you heard that phrase before? Some of us are people pleasers, and I understand that struggle. And as long as everyone else is happy with us in our home, then we're feeling good and secure. And if, heaven forbid, my family member or my spouse or my child would, would be angry with me, it just tears me apart on the inside. And I just can't bear to have somebody in my family upset with me because I, I, I place my value in what other people are thinking about me. And so I create this codependent relationship where I'm enabling someone else's abuse or I'm enabling someone else's sinful habits. And I feel like I'm less than. You're not who you know or who you're in a relationship with, right? Our world would try to have us base our significance in all these things, right? In fact, in terms, when you're in a relationship with someone or you're married to somebody, you call them your significant other. Isn't that interesting? I'm not against that term. I'm not saying it's an evil term. But isn't it interesting how we are still trying to base our significance uh, if we are dating somebody or if we are married and some people are feeling like they're less than because they're not married or because uh, they, 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 no one wants to date them and, and they feel like, oh my gosh. But the world is trying to celebrate these things. But the world celebrates all the wrong stuff. How many of you know that? 
Because you can't celebrate that sort of stuff. We wait for significance for something outside of God. You, it, will, it will crush you or it will fail you. Amen? We are significant. I am significant because I'm loved by God. I'm significant because there is someone who died for me. There is someone who created me. There is someone who lives inside of me, according to the Bible. That's why I'm significant. Not because of anything I have done. I am loved by God. Stand firm in his love. Man, that's such an encouraging statement, isn't it? In fact, there's a a verse that is perhaps maybe one of the most well-known verses, but sometimes we just gloss over it. John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so, what? Loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Such a simple verse that captures the heart of, of all the Bible. For God so loved the world. But notice that he so loved. That, that little word there is modifying it there. It says, man, this is an intense kind of love that God has for the world. God so loved you. I, I, I hope you don't mind me using this, but one of our ladies in our community group, she was telling a story. She works at a hospital, and she said there's a lady there uh, who comes in, and, and she brings us little Bibles, and she encourages us, brings us little things to read. And, um, and I don't know if it was this verse. Maybe I'm, I'm forgetting. But she said she brought it in. She works there. So this little brought it in, and she, she, this verse or another verse, and she said, you know, not, not for so God loves the world, but she said she scratched out, and she wrote the names of the employees there that worked at the hospital, and she gave that to them. How, how such a cute little uh, reminder. What a great opportunity to shed God's uh, love and grace. I was so encouraged because that's something I want to encourage all of us. To do. You can place your name inside of many of the Bible promises. For God so loved Daniel. For God so loved Jason. For God so loved fill in your name. Stand firm in his love because it's unconditional. And it won't change based upon what you do or what you don't do. What I do or what I won't do. Because look at the, the, the word there, for God so loved the what? The world. Now, you know, the Bible uses a couple different types of words for world. We know here he's not saying the world as in just the physical, geographic world, the, the grass and the trees and the sea and all that sort of stuff. Uh, and God does love those things, but that's not what he's talking about here from the rest of the verse. You can obviously understand that because the grass and the trees cannot uh, put their faith in Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. So. What is God talking about? God is talking about all the people of the world God loves. Now, here's a pop quiz. You guys ready? People of the world? Morally? Spiritually? Doing good? Uh, Or doing not so good? This is a crooked world. I'm a crooked person. And yet God still loved the world, filled with all kinds of criminals, filled with all kinds of bad people. For God so loved all the bad people. And guess what? We can include all of ourselves in that. God loved you. In fact, the the, the Bible reminds us that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so God loves you the same amount. And he wants you to stand firm in that love. There's a Chinese pastor, his name is Watchman Nee. He passed away many years ago. I believe he died in the 1970s. He was a pastor uh, for many years in China and, and helped uh, the church continue to grow in communist 
China for many years, and he's written some very simple books on, on prayer and on revival. Watchman Nee was his name. And, um, and, and this disciple, this guy that he was discipling, uh, came to him. He was so discouraged. He was like, Pastor Nee, like, man, I, I'm just a mess. No matter how hard I try, no matter how much I pray, I just don't feel like I'm doing enough. I just feel like I can't be faithful enough to God. I mean, I, I try really hard and I'm praying, but but I read my Bible for a little bit and then I, I fall asleep. You know, I, I, I read my Bible for one day and then I don't read it for five days. And I, I, I'm still getting upset with my wife and my, and my kids. And, and I just don't feel like I, I, I should even be saved. I just don't feel like God could even love me. Because I just can't seem to be faithful no matter how hard I try. And old Pastor Nee said to him, he said, you see that dog sitting right there? And he's like, yeah. He says, I love that dog. And he said, that dog uh, is perfectly trained. He has not once made a mess in this house. He always does his business outside. That dog is perfectly obedient. He doesn't bark when he's not supposed to bark. He only barks when I tell him to bark. Uh, if I say, come, he comes. If I say, sit, he sits. If I say, stay, he stays. He'll bring me the paper. Uh, he'll make a pot of coffee. You know, like, whatever. Like, this is a perfect dog. And the guy's like, okay. He says, and, and, and you hear that noise coming out of the other room? And, 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 and the, the young believer says, yeah. He says, it sounds like a baby crying. He goes, yeah. He says, that's my son, my baby son. He said, and he's over there in another room, and he's making a whole lot of noise. And that little baby boy messes his pants every day, multiple times a day. He messes his pants. He doesn't know how to appropriately handle his business. And he makes a mess out of this house. We try to feed him, and he goes, and it comes out on his face. We try to feed him, and he knocks the spoon, and it gets green stuff all over the wall. He makes a mess out of this home. But he says this, you tell me this, young believer, who is going to inherit all of my wealth in this house, that dog or my son? And the guy goes, well, of course, your son he says, exactly. And he says, because he is my son, because he is my child, no matter how messy he is, no matter how broken he is, no matter how much distress he may bring in our home, he is still my son and my heir. And then the translation is, you, sir or ma'am, are an heir if you are in Christ. And, and all of heaven's kingdom is yours. All of God's love is yours because of what Jesus Christ did to make us children of God. Because he paid the penalty for us on the cross. If we would respond to his love, we are his children, and all that is done away with. All of our sin, all of our brokenness doesn't matter. Not because of what we have done, but because of the perfection of Jesus. Not because of what we have done, but because of his grace. Not because of what we have done, but because of his love. And so, believer, stand firm in his love. That's number one. Number two, stand firm in the call of God. Stand firm in the call of God, knowing that he has called you. You are called. You are chosen. You are elected. And again, not because of anything you had done. Not because of anything you will do in the future. You are chosen by the grace of and the purposes of God. God was not taking a vote from, from, from a, an elite group of people saying, all right, are we going to choose this person? Will you give me some feedback on, on how uh, Bill might be doing or how Susie might be doing? No, God chose you and called you according to his own good.
good purpose. And when he chooses, you can't be unchosen. You can't lose it. And so stand firm in the call of God. Look back at verse 13, right? Look what it says. But we ought to always give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, beloved by the Lord, because God what? Chose you. Are y'all still with me? Y'all sleepy? Need some coffee? What's... God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. God chose you. God chose you. Reach over, tell them, tell them, tell your neighbor, say, God chose you. God chose you. God chose you. Stand firm in that. Stand firm in the fact that He chose you. And uh, the next phrase that he chose you as first fruits, or maybe your translation says from the beginning. Either, either translation probably could work. It's not a big deal because in other scriptures and other parts of the Bible, we see those same exact terms. Uh, you, you are called first fruits. Uh, this could refer to the Thessalonian believers who, who were some of the first believers in that area of, of Greece, or what they called Macedonia. Um, you know, it could go either way. God chose you from the beginning. We, we see in another part of scripture that the Bible says before the foundation of the world, God chose you. God chose you. You know how it is to get picked for teams. Y'all remember that? I'm bringing back all kinds of memories for everybody, you know. Man, even as adults, right? If I said everybody, hey, stand up. We're going to choose people. We're going to put people on this side and that side. And I got a team and, and, uh, and, and Pete's got a team, right? All of a sudden it starts to make you feel nervous. Our community group um, uh, recently gave birth, uh, meaning we have two community groups and one community group. And, and there was like, you could tell there was nervousness in the group. Like, who's going to pick me? Right. And we're adults. Right. We're mature and all this sort of stuff. And so we kind of had this joke between me and Donnie of like, I got the A team. And, uh, and so in fact, my, my community group would be like, hey, no, we're staying. We're staying. You, you get this is the A team. And, uh, you know, and, and even in, in, in adults, we can get a little funny about choosing. Like, oh, man, I don't want to get picked last. Like, because that communicates someone doesn't really want me. Right. Oh, can I just let you know God chose you today? God wants you. God desires you. That seems crazy to say that. But look at the evidence of what we just read. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only son that whoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. God did that on purpose. He chose you. He chose you to be the first fruits. But he chose you to do what? Look at the same verse with me, right? He chose you to, as the first fruits, to be saved. He chose you for salvation. That is to become a believer in Jesus Christ. That is your position to be saved. That's the, the first thing there. But is that the only thing? See, some people think, all right, God chose me. I'm a believer now. Everything's cool. End of story, right? That's not what it says, though, right? Chose you to be saved. Look at the next word. Through, through what? Sanctification. That's a big old church word there. I'll take that, Alex, for 300. Sanctification means the process of God changing me and strengthening me and growing me. Because how many of you know, man, we, we've been a hot mess. And God loves you just as you are. You've probably heard that say before. God loves you just as you are, but he loves you enough to not let you stay that way. Sanctification is him not letting you stay in your selfishness. Let him, him not letting you stay in your immaturity, but growing you. So God chose you so that you would grow. So it's always a helpful reminder when people tell me that they're a Christian, a good reminder is how am I growing? 
Listen, you may grow slower than other people. Some people may grow faster than other people. But is there some growth? Have you been a different person from the day you got saved until now? Is there some change that God has made? Because that's evidence that he is sanctifying you through sanctification by, look at the next word, by the what? By the Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit at work in us. God chose you to be changed and sanctified, set apart, different. And then notice, by the way, this is a beautiful dance here between God's choosing, our election, and and his divine sovereignty and our own will. Because notice what it says. Sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. There's our part, our belief. And God grants us, according to Ephesians 2, the ability to uh, faith as a gift. But we still got to respond and belief in the truth. And then look at verse 14 with me. Here's another reminder. To this he what? He called you. You're chosen. You're called. Man, that's so encouraging. You're chosen and called before you even knew you were chosen or called. You're chosen and called when you mess up and you don't feel like you're chosen and called. God called you. And then look at the rest of it. He called you through, notice there's another through there, through our what? Our gospel. Paul's saying, we came and preached, we presented the gospel, and, and, and then you believed. And so there's evidence there. This is how God works. He, he calls us to preach the gospel. He calls us to have gospel conversations. That's the job of every believer, by the way. And he's going to talk more about this uh, in a few verses later. And, and we are to have, as believers, presenting the gospel. Does it matter how good you are presenting the gospel? If you can present the gospel, the gospel is, is, is simple enough to be understood by a child, but deep enough that we can never plumb the depths of it. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ dying in our place for us, for sinners like me and you. That's, that's all you need to know is the gospel, right? You could have that kind of conversation with a coworker, with a neighbor. And God is the one who works through the Holy Spirit, through his calling, to reach people. And so he says, through our gospel. And then it says, so that you may obtain, so that you may obtain what? Glory. That's an interesting word. This is wild, right? God wants to glorify me. What? God, I'm, I'm to obtain glory. Well, what does that mean? And we could, we could spend weeks on this, but suffice it to say that sin has come in and marred the glory that was meant to, to, to be given to every human being that God originally created us and designed us to have. He, he, commu- he, he created you that you would shine, not for yourself, right? In, in, in the book of Matthew, Jesus talks about let, let your good deeds be, be seen by others so that you may shine, so that, so that people might glorify God on the day that he visits. Let your good deeds be seen by others. And so we were created, you were created to to shine. You were created to to represent God's glory. I like to kind of think of it kind of like the moon, though, right? Have have y'all noticed the moon out in the sky? Looks pretty sometimes, shining bright. But does the moon have any internal power source? No, the moon is simply what? Reflecting the greater power source. But the moon is no less glorious, right? If you look at it, and it's been, we've we seen some awesome um, full moons uh, lately. It's, it's been beautiful. And that's what we're created to do. What am I talking about? I'm talking about standing firm in the fact that you are called. 
and notice to obtain glory. Now you notice what we have here. In these two verses, we have just deep, deep theological truths, just huge things going on here. There are three terms that Christians like to, to, to theologians like to use, uh, and, and they're called salvation, sanctification, and glorification. You say, Pastor, those are wonderful words. What, what do they mean? But they are important for us to know because they relate to our everyday lives, right? Salvation means I am saved. That's my position. That can't be t- I am saved as a believer. I am saved. That's salvation, right? And then we, we saw in that same, same verse, sanctification. You know how we like to say that? I am being saved, right? I am being saved. Are you still being saved? There's some problems inside of me and you, right? Uh, we were talking earlier, and, and, and Pete made a joke about, you know, still some hood in some folks, right? Still some hood in some folks, right? And, and, it, and it takes a little while for God to work that out, right? All of a sudden, you know, you, you start getting around some people, and, and, and those, those things come back to you. And uh, as, as, as quick as if you, you hadn't done that 30 years ago. And so I'm still in this process of God changing me every day. I am being saved. That's sanctification. And then glorification, what he's talking about here is this. One day I will be completely saved. God will be done and I will be made perfect. I will be what God originally created to be. And sin will no longer have mastery over sin. Sin won't have the final answer. Because listen, we I, I get tired of myself. I don't know about you. But I get tired of myself. Like, Lord, why am I still dealing with this? Why am I still hung up on this? God, I should be past this. I shouldn't be getting angry over this little thing here. This makes no sense. One day, believer, you'll be done. You will be completely saved. Or maybe you've heard it put this way, right? Sancti- uh, salvation, right? Is that we are freed from the penalty of sin. No longer is there any penalty for those who are in Jesus Christ. The penalty for sin has been paid by Jesus Christ. And then there's sanctification, right? That means I'm being saved from the power of sin. Sin is losing its power over my life. Those addictions are going away, sometimes one at a time, and and I'm being sanctified. But then there is glorification or glory, which means one day I'll be saved from the presence of all sin, and it will no longer have any problems or presence in my life. And I look forward to that day. In these two little verses, we see that. Man, isn't that encouraging? But notice again at the text there, he says that that you may obtain glory, the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God says you may obtain that, right? I like to say it this way. If God chose you, he will complete you. So that's something you can encourage your neighbor with. Go ahead and tell your neighbor, tell if God chose you, he will complete you. If God chose you, he will complete you. If God chose you, he will complete you. God will keep you. He's coming back for you. You're his child. 2 Corinthians, I love this verse here. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. And it says this. It says, he set his seal of ownership. There's a seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Oh, believer, if you don't have that verse memorized, if you don't put that on an index card, write it on your mirror, put it on your lock screen, he set his seal of ownership on it. He put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Who did all that work? Not us, right? God, notice 
the word. He did it. He set his seal. He put his spirit. Guaranteeing. He's the one that guarantees it. You ever put a deposit on something, right? You got to put a deposit down when you when you buy a car or buy a house. Or if you take a trip somewhere, you got to put a deposit down. That, that secures your spot. Here's the beautiful thing is that God has put his deposit in you, his Holy Spirit. And if he put it in there, he intends to complete it. I remember back in the good old days, me and my wife got married. We lived in Newton, Conover, North Carolina. Good old Newton, Conover, just a quaint little town there. I was teaching middle school. And um, and uh, the only thing Newton, Conover is for is being close to or next to Hickory, North Carolina. Not everybody even knows where Hickory is, but Hickory is, is probably the only thing Hickory is famous for is uh, there's uh, some uh, furniture factories there. That's where they build the furniture. So Broy Hill and all, that stuff, all those plants there and then. You know, that, of course, has changed, moved overseas, and yada, yada, yada. But um, but back in old Newton Conover, before Aldi's, y'all know what Aldi's is, ever came to Virginia Beach, old Newton Conover had Aldi's out there in the foothills of North Carolina. And that's where we shopped because we were poor. We didn't have two pennies to rub together. So we went to Aldi's because it was way cheaper, and it was just stuff, you know, stacked up, you know, uh, no no shelving, just stuff stacked up on pallets. And that's the way it was. And I don't know if they still do it today. Uh, I think they still do today. Um, when you go to Aldi's and get the shopping cart, they still do this. You got to put a quarter in the shopping cart as a deposit, guaranteeing that you're going to put the shopping cart back because you want that quarter, right? God has put something way more valuable inside of you. He didn't put a quarter inside of you. He put the Holy Spirit inside of every believer, guaranteeing that he is coming back to get you. Oh, believer, if God chose you, he is going to complete you and he is going to come back for you. So stand firm in his love. Stand firm in his calling. Here's a couple other verses that remind us of this. Philippians 1, 6 says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. God will complete you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8 says, so that you are not lacking any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you, who will sustain you till the what? Till the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is going to be the one that sustains us. Why? Because he called you in the first place. And he is going to, to, to call you guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? I'm not guiltless. But because of what he's done, he is going to call us guiltless. So encouraged by that. And so stand firm in the love of God. Stand firm in the calling of God. Thirdly, stand firm in the word of God. Stand firm in the word of God. We've talked about this several uh, times. In fact, we spent most of January reminding that we are to be people who are abiding, meaning connecting in relationship with God through the Bible. But if you look at verse 15, right? He makes it very plain and simple there. Verse 15, he says, so then, brothers, stand firm, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. He's reminding them to go back to the truth, go back to the scriptures. Now, some people might say, well, wait a second, Pastor, that says traditions there. I kind of thought traditions weren't always the, the best thing. And, um, Nothing wrong with traditions. They have their appropriate place. In fact, what he's talking about here, uh, and the problem you see in the Bible is 
human traditions. You see Jesus talking to the Pharisees saying, you have elevated your human traditions over God's word. And that's, that's the problem with traditions. Traditions can come and go, and if they're human traditions, what he's referring to is the apost apostolic authority that he had as an apostle of Jesus Christ that he taught and lived as an example among them. And, and he's talking about the letter that he sent to them, which is the word of God. So how does that apply to us? It, it reminds us to stand firm in the Bible, right? Stand firm in the scriptures. Because think about this, right? You, you, you are being attacked. You are standing on the foul line trying to stand firm. And, and there, are, there is an enemy coming after you. And how are you going to know and remain Man, God loves me. He's called me. He's chosen me. It doesn't matter. Man, what, what has come against me doesn't matter whether I have a significant other or not or whether other people think I'm this or that. How are you going to stand firm in that? You've got to have your mind stayed on the word of God. Because listen, the world ain't going to tell you you're loved and chosen. They're going to tell you you're loved and chosen if you do what they want you to do. If you perform to the right standard, if you do good enough. So you've got to have your mind stayed on his word, right? You've got to be plugged into his power. In fact, when we talk about Bible reading, we talk about reading God's love letter. God just wants some time with you to love on you during that time, to fill you with his reminders. And so, believer, how you been doing, right? It's, it's the end of February, right? We did a big abide push in January, reminding people, get a reading plan, read the daily bread, get a Bible app and, and, and do something there. How are you doing with that? Some of you are like, oh, pastor, I failed. I failed. It's February. I didn't even stick it out a month. Guess what? Stand firm in it. Just get back on it. You're not the only one. Did you hear the, 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 the group size that we just gave, right? That means you're not alone. Just get back on it. Don't let the enemy keep you from getting into God's word. You've got to stand firm in that. The Bible says you've got to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. My mind is still filled with, with the old sinful nature, and it wants to lead me into temptation. It wants, it wants me to do the things that old Daniel, bad Daniel used to do, B, C Daniel used to do. And, and if I don't have my mind fixed on the word throughout the day, I'm, I'm going to do all that crazy mess. So I've got to be focused on the word. I've got to stand firm in the word. And then lastly is this, number four. I've got to stand firm in the grace of God. I've got to stand firm in the grace of God. And I realize there's some similarity to all these. But I'm so thankful for God's grace, aren't you? Stand firm in the grace of God. As we close out these verses and, and move into to chapter 3, look at verses 16 through 17. Notice what he says as he encourages them. This is his prayer. He says, Now may our Lord... Jesus Christ himself, aren't you glad that God uh, himself comes to us, right? He doesn't just send a delegate, he comes himself. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, right? There's a reminder from earlier, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through what? Through grace. He gave it to us as a gift through grace. That's what grace is is it's a gift that you didn't earn or deserve and he gave it to us god's riches at christ's expense is what many people have changed grace into an acronym for god's riches at christ's expense that's grace it's grace it's his 
working in us to comfort us, to establish us, right? Look, look at verse 17. Verse 17 says, right? Through grace, comfort your hearts. This is God comforting our hearts, not us comforting our own hearts. And establish them in every good work and word. What does he talk about? What does that word establish mean there? It means to strengthen, to make firm, to hold fast. Are y'all tracking with me? I don't think you are. I don't think you are. What is he saying? He's saying, man, through grace, and then verse 17, he's saying he is going to establish you. He is going to establish you. He is going to strengthen you. He is going to make you stand firm. It's kind of like this. I'm, I'm getting my foot planted, Pastor. I'm going to plant myself in the love of God and the grace of God and the word of God. I'm going to plant myself there. See, the beautiful thing is God is the one who is establishing you. See, because we even get weak. See, sometimes I got on that foul line there and I faced some big old boys. Right? I played with a good friend of mine, Curtis Johnson. Uh, he went on to play at St. John's. He was seven foot three. And um, and he wasn't like a skinny seven foot three because we had two seven footers on my team. Uh, Nate was the other guy. Nate, Nate, you could just blow on him and he would just like fall over. But Curtis was like a tree. Like a tree. One time he reached over. I had him boxed out. Right, I was pushing them all out. I had him boxed out. He just reached over me with his eight-foot arm and, and grabbed the ball over my head. Anyways, and his arm just fell right here on my trap. I was sore for like a week. I was like, I felt like a tree limb fell on top of me from like five stories. And, um, and so sometimes you come against something that's even bigger. Oh, but believer, you are established by God. So even when you are weak, he is strong. It's kind of like this. What if I were to plant my feet in some cement? I were to get some buckets of cement out here and just put my foot out there and put my other foot out and let that cement hold me fast, right? And people could push me. I might fall over, but my feet are still what? Planted firm, not because of me, but because what is holding my feet. It says he will establish you. Aren't you so grateful for that? that he will establish you even when we are weak. And notice what he establishes us in, right? Still in verse 17. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. He's reminding us that we are to continue on in good works and good words and, and sharing of the gospel. But we don't do that in our own power. It's his grace at work in us. And then look at chapter 3, right? Look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and we'll wrap up. He says this, finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you. This is, man, this is the call we have as believers, right? Hey, could this be a prayer for us at Plaza? May the Lord, may the Lord help the word speed ahead from us and be honored as we share the word of Christ. And listen, when we talk about having gospel conversations with people, man, I just appreciate the stories that you guys share and the way you guys uh, talk about because every person is is different. And um, and, and let, let's be uh, reminded that when we talk about having a gospel conversation, sharing the gospel with a, a friend, a co-worker, a neighbor, we're not talking about you got you to gotta, like break out your Bible and lead them through the Romans road all at work, right? We're, we're, we're not talking about getting like the 
the four spiritual laws and having to read through all that or draw the three circles, just all that work. Sometimes God allows you the time to do that and praise God for that. Take the time, right? But sometimes it's just as simple as in, hey, God really helped me to get through this, right? Man, it was Jesus who strengthened me, right? Now, I'm not talking about like the little God bless you at the checkout counter with an attitude. You know some of us do that, right? You got an attitude and you want to give them an attitude back, right? But you want to do it in a nice way. So it's like this passive aggressive cloaked in Christianity. God bless you, sir. Right? And then you go home and tell your family like, yeah, they were so rude to me and they did this. But I told them God bless you. You told them with an attitude. You might as well said bleepity bleep bleep bleep. Right? God bless you. Don't bring Jesus into your attitude. He, he, go back to sanctification. He wants to work that out of you. So what am I saying? A gospel conversation could be as simple as, man, God help me get through this. Jesus is my hope, man. He's holding me fast, right? It doesn't have to be this, this big, huge thing, right? It's just just to be a simple thing. So pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as it happened among you. Verse two, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Look at this. He will what? Establish you. There's a second reminder. He will hold you fast even when you are weak and he will guard you against the evil one. Oh, man. Someone bigger than Curtis Johnson, seven foot three, is coming. And the Bible says he will establish you. He will guard you so you don't have to worry about it. Remember last week, the believers at Thessalonica are freaking out about the Antichrist and the end times people are coming, end of the world, you know, tribulation, Armageddon, wars, rumors of wars, natural disaster. They're freaking out about that. And he's given them another reminder. Hey, God is in you. He will guard you through all of that, through the, the wickedness of our society, through the wickedness of an antichrist. He will guard you. He will establish it. How much more when we go through all the stuff in our world? And then look at, at how he closes this. Verse 4. And we have confidence. We have confidence in who? In the Lord. We have confidence in the Lord about you, right? He's confident about what God is going to do in them. God is doing it. And he says that you are doing and will do the things that we command. Why? Because it's God who has established us. It's his grace at work in our lives. And then how he closes this is so beautiful. He says, may the Lord direct your hearts. Direct your hearts. Man, do you need your heart directed sometimes? I do. Lord, would you direct my heart? And what does he tell him to direct it to? The same thing. The love of God and the steadfastness of Jesus Christ. Hey, listen, sir, ma'am, you may not be steadfast. You, you may struggle with standing firm. You know who is always standing firm? Jesus Christ. And, and fix your gaze on him. Not fix your eyes on yourself and, and how many times you messed up this week, how many times you struggled this week. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Turn your heart, right? Let's go back to that last verse there, right? That, that he may direct your heart towards the love of God and towards the steadfastness. That's the firmness of Jesus Christ. The only way I'm standing firm is because he's put my feet on the rock. 
And the rock is the one who stands firm every day and every night, through any season, through any temptation, through any storm. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my helper. There's an old Bible preacher. His name is F.B. Meyer. He's written a number of commentaries, and he wrote about some Germans who wanted to go climb the Matterhorn. And if you don't know what the Matterhorn is, it's a, it's a huge mountain in the Alps right between uh, Switzerland and Italy. It's about 14,000 feet. And, um, uh, man, it's, it's one that's desired to be climbed, uh, but over 500 people have died, making it one of the deadliest uh, climbs in all the world. And so, but these guys wanted to go hike it, so they hired some professional guides uh, to, to go with them. And the men roped themselves as they get ready to go up this cliff, and they roped themselves in this order. Traveler, uh, excuse me, guide first. <laughs> That'd be a bad idea. Uh, guide, traveler, guide, traveler, guide, traveler. So that every traveler was hooked to a guide as they went up the mountain. They were all linked together. And so they were navigating this cold, wintry mountain, and, um, and the guy at the end lost his footing and slipped. But there was a guy above him who caught him. But because of the weight, the other guy, he just had like a little toehold in there. It caused him to slip. Then it caused the third guy to slip, the other guy. Then it caused the next traveler to slip. But the first guy had hammered himself in with over a foot-long spike. He made sure that he had his footing drove deep in there. And all that weight pulled on him, and he just held fast and stood firm. Not because he was so strong, but because he had put his foot into something a lot more stable than himself. There was a spike driven into the rock. Can I tell you? that there are some spikes driven into our Savior's hands and his feet. And he held fast and he was steadfast on that cross for you and for me. And he took the full brunt of all of God's wrath that I had deserved, that you had deserved for all of our sins. And he paid the penalty on the cross until he said, it is finished. Stand firm in the grace of God, which is given to you freely. All you got to do is receive it. And so, believer, are you standing firm in the love of God, the calling of God, the word of God, and, and the grace of God? I love that song we were singing earlier, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amazing good works, how sweet the sound that I've done all the things right. That's not how it goes. Amazing grace. Grace is what God has done, not, not my ability to keep up. Now listen, his grace begins to work in me and begins to strengthen me that I don't do the things I used to do, but that's evidence of his grace at work in me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Don't you love the end part of that? Maybe you don't know that, but he says this, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved." Through many uh, trials and, and temptations and storms, we've already come. Then it says this. So it's grace that will lead me home. It will be grace that will lead me home. And so wherever you're at in your spiritual journey, we can have peace till the very end, till our dying breath. Not because we're so good, but because of a Savior who is 
perfect and died on the cross for us. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Christ. You haven't submitted your life to him. You haven't surrendered your life to him and, and, and engaged in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Can I just tell you, you're holding your own rope on, on, a, on, on, a, on a mountain far greater than the Matterhorn. Would you get roped up with Jesus Christ? Would you let him hold you? What does that require? That requires you to repent from your sins and say, God, I don't want to do life on my own terms anymore. God, I don't want to be the boss of my life. I turn from my way of doing things. I get off the throne of my heart. And God, I want you to be on the throne of my heart. And I surrender my life to you. If you're here today and you haven't done that, we'd love to help you do that. That's, that's why we exist as a church. And so we're, let's pray together. As our worship team is going to come and prepare us for our response song with heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your grace that holds us. We thank you, Lord, for your calling that has chosen us when we didn't deserve it, when no one else thought we were worth calling, you thought we were worth calling. God, we thank you for your unconditional love, God, that you loved us when no one else loved us. And your love has never changed for us. And God, you are reminding us today to stand firm in that love. God, I pray we would all stand firm in that love. But then we would be reminded that it was never really us standing firm. It was really never us holding on to you. The reality of the matter is that, God, you were holding on to us. And your grip would never let us go. Oh, God, direct our hearts to Jesus. Father, I want to pray for those who are here today that don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you know that's you, you desire to be saved, you feel God has been calling you, you've heard the gospel, the Holy Spirit has been knocking on the door of your heart, I'd like to lead you in a prayer if that's you. You might want to say something just as simple as this. If this is the desire of your heart, you might want to say something like this. Just repeat this in your heart if you so desire. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. Right now, as best I know how, right now, as best I know I surrender my life to you. I ask that you would be my Lord. And I give all control over to you. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I believe that you rose again on the third day. Help me now to live for you all the days of my life. If you pray that prayer for the first time, I ask that you put that on your connection card, put it in the offering plate, or maybe you let somebody know you came with today and say, man, I became a believer for the first time today so we can rejoice in what God is doing in your life. Nobody wants to embarrass you. We just want to help you to be able to grow. So, Father, we are so appreciative of who you are. We ask that you would continue, by your grace, to hold us fast. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.